Um, we're we're going to dive into um, the uh, second book of Timothy, and this is Paul's second epistle written to his young protege, Timothy, and Paul's last letter that he wrote before he was beheaded. So this is interesting um, that this would be his last letter. And matter of fact, while he is writing this, you could probably guess it, he is in prison. I like that about Paul, no matter where he's at. But this time he's in prison in Rome, and this is probably written around 66 A.D. And this would be um, his last book, or last letter that he would he would write that we know of. Um, if there's one word to describe this this little epistle is this, is the word committed. Everyone say committed. That's not a very uh, common word and not a fun word that we like to talk about in our society, but committed. And if you were to put that into uh, this, if kind of collapse this whole book into one main idea or one sentence, it would, Christian leaders are to be unashamed of the gospel, to carry uh, on a faithfully with the message about Christ entrusted to them. How many want to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ? I want to do it to the best of my ability. God, listen, God has entrusted the gospel with you. That's how much, uh, that's how much uh, that he trusts you. And so he, uh, knowing that responsibility, I want to, to shout it loud. I want to make heaven, uh, I want to fill up heaven as much as I can. I want to tell every person I know about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So um, two times Paul uh, was imprisoned, and in the book of Acts, the, in the closing, he is, in that moment, he is under house arrest. So basically, he is in prison. He has a guard that's shackled to him 24 hours a day, and he has his own, um, like, quarters, and he was allowed visitors. So it was kind of a, a light imprisonment, um, but in that moment, Paul was was preaching to the guards that were shackled to him. He's like, I got somebody I can witness to right here. He's he's writing letters in that moment. But in this moment, um, he is not in the same situation. He is in a dark, a damp uh, dungeon or prison here in this case. And so um, uh, we find him there. So uh, the reason most likely that he is in prison here is because uh, the Caesar, who at that time was Nero. Does anyone know anything about Nero? Not one of the best uh, not best Caesars in the Roman em Empire. Matter of fact, didn't really care too much for Christians. And I, I want to share this. I, I saw this. I want to read this to you. According to historical evidence, such as uh, a megalomaniac was Caesar Nero, that he desired to burn Rome in order to rebuild it. How many have ever heard that story or saw a play or maybe a movie about that? Um, he, he wanted to burn it down so he could rebuild it so he could have the prestige of I was the Caesar that built Rome. Um, how many know you got to be a little bit crazy to go through all that just, just to do that? And so, and, um, and so he wanted to be known as the supreme architect or, or the one who rebuilt Rome. Thus, the majority of historians believe that Caesar Nero was the one who set the fire that did indeed burn the city of, uh, of Rome in A.D. 64. Needing a scapegoat for the fire on Nero chose to blame Christians. And these Christians are always, uh, he would say this, these Christians are always saying that they are the light of the world. Uh, but really, uh, they're nothing but a bunch of arsonists and cannibals. And when he said those terms like cannibals, he's talking about how they took communion. 
Eventually, Nero would ride in his palace grounds, shrieking with glee as he watched Christians being lit as human torches and candles while he went about in his palace, and he would scream and yell at them, uh, look at you now, you are the light of the world. How many know that's pretty evil? All right. You say, hey, that's, that's insane. But historical evidence points that Nero went insane after meeting with the apostle Paul. It's pretty interesting to me. Um, church history indicates that Paul was brought into discussion with Nero before he was beheaded. So it suggested that Nero most likely heard and rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ and lost his mind. It's interesting to me, there's, there is a, um, a verse in the Bible that says, uh, only a fool says in his heart, no God. And right here is, is evidence of that. So awaiting his trial with Nero, Paul picks up his pen in a dark, damp prison and begins to write Timothy. So just a, that's a little bit of an entry there into this. So the greeting is this, this typical greeting of Paul. Paul, an apostle of Christ, uh, uh, Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, I love this salutation. I love how Paul usually opens his letters. Um, and um, when you read this, you don't get that he is just a few days away from dying. I mean, when, when I read that, uh, he could have said, hey, I'm Paul. I love Jesus, but I'm about to die. I'm depressed. He could have, he, but he didn't say that. No, he, he still knew his mission in this life, and he knew it was only by God's grace that he was able to even minister. So I love that he's speaking life to a young minister. So the life he's speaking about is, is not this one, but eternal life. I love Paul because his eyes were not stuck here. His eyes were looking way ahead. You, you wonder, how could he go through so many things? How could he go through every struggle that he went through because he had eternal eyes, uh, eyes that looked ahead of what God was doing, you know? So um, I, I don't know about you. If I was in prison, I'd probably be cast down. I'd probably be upset. I'd probably be down in my spirit. But here's Paul. Here he is, dark, damp prison. Hey, Timothy, you're going to do good things in the ministry. I love you, buddy. Hey, God's got great plans for you. How many love to have someone speak into your life like that? How many know that every Timothy needs a Paul? Right? And so uh, I like that. So he sees the big picture. So this, uh, he's saying this, this life is but a small portion of the total sum of our existence. Seems like a lot to us here on earth, but really it's very small to the grand scheme of things. See, if you believe in Jesus, you too uh, will not die, and you'll have the same hope that Paul lived for. And so that's, uh, that's it. So here's uh, verse 2 says this, to Timothy, my beloved child. And as I noted in our study in, in 1 Timothy, it was most likely Paul who had had an encounter with Timothy, who probably led him to Christ, but definitely had a close relationship with him and impacted his development as a minister. So in Paul's second ministry, uh, missionary journey, when he went out, he, uh, after first his first missionary journey, he went and probably met Timothy. In his second missionary journey, he went out, and then instead of just going to see Timothy, he then invites him 
to go with him. How many know that you need a Paul in your life, someone who's going to help you and say, hey, come with me and let's go do ministry together. And, and maybe you say, hey, I, I'm old. Maybe, maybe you need to be Paul and grab someone younger and say, hey, I, let me show you what God's done in my life. And let me walk beside me here. Let's, let's go win the world for Jesus. And I, I like that, that Paul is a spiritual father. And I believe this, there are spiritual fathers and there are spiritual mothers. And listen to me, everybody has an opportunity to impute into someone else's life. No matter where you are on the spectrum of Christianity, like if you're an itty-bitty young Christian or you're an old Christian, there's a moment where you start to grow and, and there's a point where you need to start imputing into other people's lives. So like Paul, he had begun to, uh, Paul began to trust Timothy as they traveled and ministered. There's nothing like uh, you learn to trust people when you travel with people, right? Especially if you're going on a mission missions trip with somebody. You, you get close to people. You get in some crazy scenarios sometimes, and you're not unsure, but you, you begin to grow together. But um, some people say this, I, I don't want to be a spiritual father. I don't want to be a spiritual mother because what if they mess up? Well, we have to make room for mistakes and failures at times. How many know that everybody's going to mess up at some point or another? How many have kids? How many have perfect kids? That's what I thought. Everybody is going to mess up at some point or another. And, and so just because my kids or Wyatt or Novak messes up or Zaley messes up sometime, guess what? I still see the potential in them. And as a spiritual mother and a spiritual father, what you got to do is grab them by the hand and say, hey, Let's get back up. Let's keep going. Let's keep moving. Proverbs 14.4 says, an empty stable stays clean and brings no, uh, no profit. So here's the deal. When we, we begin to become spiritual fathers and mothers like, like Paul was doing here with Timothy, it's going to get dirty sometimes, right? Um, if, if we look at that, a stable, why does a stable get stinky and dirty? Nobody wants to say, right? Because there's an animal in there. An animal's in there using the restroom right there and there. I was in 4-H. I raised a cow. And let me tell you something. I'd wash my cow at the fair, and it would, we would, I would tie it up, and then it would go to the bathroom, and it would lay down right where it went to the bathroom. And I thought, you silly cow. But that's what happens. And sometimes, you know, as spiritual mother and father, you know what you have to do? you got to be patient. you got to say, hey, come back. Let's go over here. Let's just let's 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 get washed off. Let's 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 be better. So Paul took a chance on Timothy, and Timothy profited greatly by Paul. So here's the next portion of this. It says this: um, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I like this. Paul, in usual fashion, he always starts with grace. Amen. How many need grace? And the grace here is the Greek word. Uh, Charis, which it, 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 and then what I like about this, he follows uh, with this Hebrew word shalom, which is peace, right? So we got grace and peace, and then, and then very wisely, very wise spiritual father, he concludes with mercy, or says mercy in the middle there. But I find that interesting because here's 
I think he, what he's doing here for a young Timothy is saying this. Hey, God's grace be upon you. Hey, you're going to need mercy at times, and you're going to need peace. How many say, hey, I, I need God's grace. How many say, I need God's mercy, and I need God's peace over my life. So, I, I mean, I just speak that over you tonight. I love that. So look at this. Here's If you need a subheading here from this point on after the greeting is this. Uh, I like this. Paul talks about guarding the deposit entrusted to you. God has entrusted the gospel with you. Let me ask you this. How do you guard it? How do you guard it? It's very interesting. So think about this. Verse 3 says this. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers. You are constantly in my prayers day, at night and day. Um, I would say this. If Paul's in prison, he's probably not sleeping very well, right? Uh, probably not the most comfortable situation. Um, and so instead of grumbling about it, he instead of complaining about it, hey, here's an opportunity to write an encouraging letter to Timothy. Here's a, here's a, here's a moment where I can impute into him. Perhaps, have you ever felt like the situation that you're walking in is a prison? Anybody? Have you ever felt like, man, this is just a, a dark place that I'm in in this season of my life. You ever been in there? Maybe maybe uh, some of your past decisions come back and haunt you, and, uh, and, and maybe you say things like, I can't believe I, I married them, or, uh, you know, and maybe, maybe you're like, instead of marrying them, I, I could have been used on the mission field, but here I am, I could be doing kingdom work, but here I am doing his dishes, or here I am fixing her house, and there, and but this is what we have to know. Those things may feel, and I know I'm throwing it a little bit overboard with marriage, but marriage or things sometimes can feel like a prison. But here's the, here's the deal: you have a chance in those moments where you're not doing something to pray. And I believe that God is always trying to get us closer to Him, whatever that looks like. You think the Lord cares more about you getting closer to Him than He does your comfort? It's kind of like the, 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 the eagle. You know, what does the eagle do? It makes the nest uncomfortable. you got to get out of this nest. And, and God sometimes, when we're stuck, he'll, he'll make it a little uncomfortable. He'll push us. And, and you know, so some people may say that. I, I was thinking about this this week. I went, uh, Mike Gotze, we'll pray for him at the end of the service. He had back surgery uh, Monday. And I went and uh, was able to be with him a little bit on Monday. And then um, I, I texted him today just to see how he was doing. And uh, just and he, he said, Pastor, I, I'm a little bit sore. And, you know, he was telling me a little bit about his condition. And at the end of his statement, talking about himself, he said, Pastor, how can I pray for you today? And I tell you what, I was so charged in my faith. And I said, I said Mike, thank you for for. And this is what you can pray for me today. This very specific thing. Here's a guy who is on his back. Uh, he can't go to work. Can't do this thing. He is, he is redeeming the time. I'm going to pray. I'm going to use this moment. I may not be able to go do everything I can do, but I can pray for people. I can, I can hold them up in prayer. And so I, I love that. That's, that's one of the great things that I, I love about Paul. So some people say this, uh, you know, their life is a dungeon or, or this is a prison. But here's the deal. Those moments give us time to pray. In dungeons and prisons on earth with prayer, uh, oftentimes, you know, when we're in those moments, uh, people, they begin to, when we begin to pray, people, they lift, they begin to, to, 
to be lifted up, and they begin to lift others up. And you know what happens when you're in a dungeon and you begin to lift others up and you begin to worship, worship God? It gives us access, access to the gates of heaven. You may be in a prison here, but you have access to the gates of heaven. Amen? I mean, I love that. It just charges my heart. Um, I don't know about you. I wish I had Paul praying for me. Think about that for a moment. This is Paul saying, hey, Timothy, I, I'm praying for you. I wish I had Paul praying for me night and day. Um, but here's, here's kind of something that's very interesting. And um, you know what? Maybe Paul's not praying for you, but guess who is? Jesus. Hebrews 7.25 says this, that, that, that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, Father, and he is making intercession for you and me. You know the difference between Paul and Jesus? Jesus doesn't get tired. Jesus doesn't sleep. And Jesus has got the ear of the Father. And, and sometimes we take that for granted. How many of you say, hey, I take that for granted in my life, that Jesus is interceding for you? You know what? Jesus is a better prayer than, than the pastor. I will pray for you, but let me tell you something. There's a point where I may fall asleep like some of you are doing right now. Everyone shake your neighbor and say, wake up. But here's the deal. I may fall asleep, and, and Paul may fall asleep, but Jesus praying for you, he does not grow Weary, I love that. I I, I do. I've, I mean, I've, there's been times where I thought, oh, I'm going to pray. And I remember one time at a camp, um, we were having a, an amazing service, and I was a young young person in the camp. And I, I was praying, and I put my head down, and I was laid out uh, across the floor just praying. And the next thing I know, I fell asleep. Some of you say, I've been there, all right? You don't want to admit it, but you've been there. But here's the deal. Jesus never grows weary in prayer according to Psalm 121.3. So next time you're frustrated, next time you're lost, next time you're worried, remember this, the high priest, Jesus Christ, is interceding for you, and he looks at the Father and says, hey, TJ need, needs us right now. TJ needs this right now. He's desperate right now. Let's, let's bless him. Or he calls your name out. Says, they, they need this right now. Verse 4 says this. As I remember your tears, uh, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. So 1 Timothy 6, 11, which we covered last, last week, Paul tell, calls Timothy a man of God. You remember me talking about that? He calls him a man of God. One of the few instances where, where somebody in Scripture is actually called a man of God. And so... Um, it's, it's kind of interesting that he picks Timothy, yet we know this about Timothy. Timothy was sickly. Timothy was a little bit timid. We know he had a, a weak stomach because, because of the scripture, and, and, and he was a bit emotional. Now, you know, I, I, as I think about that, I'm, I'm kind of throwing Timothy under the bus, but one day I'm going to be in heaven with Timothy, and he might be like, hey, TJ, why were you so harsh on me when you were tell, telling people about my condition, you know? Uh, you know, sometimes I, we talk bad about Bible characters, but one day we're going to have to face Moses, you know. One day we're going to have to face King David. Face the, We're going to have to see them. And so, uh, you know, I'm not trying to throw him under the bus or anything like that, but Paul, he, he knew that there was something about him. Uh, he was a little apprehensive, and uh, Timothy was just a little bit timid and a little bit reserved. Maybe personality-wise, he didn't feel like he 
fit the mold. And so um, here's the thing. I mean, uh, you know, and, and Lord only knows what they would say about me. So I, I sometimes it's best not to say anything, right? Um, you know, I, I, I might be apprehensive as a pastor to use Timothy by, by what the way sometimes that Paul talks about him in, in certain instances. And he would probably be overlooked by some ministers because of, you know, well, he's sick a lot and he's this. But yet he was sickly and timid, young and emotional. What I like about a good spiritual father, a discerning father, he saw right through those things. And he saw someone who would serve the Lord with all his heart. I like that. Whose priority was the kingdom of God. You know what our priority is? Not my ministry, not the church, but the kingdom of God. All right? And God loves to use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Whew, I'm so blessed by that verse because I'm on that foolish side, not on the wise side. And so, uh, and, and, and the weak things to show up uh, the strong because when he uses people like Timothy, when he uses people like me, when he uses people like you, guess what? He gets the glory. Amen. I, I love that. I love that. Verse 5 says this. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. So I, I, um, when I read that, that particular verse, I, I talked about her, I think, last week or maybe a couple weeks ago, maybe twice. Uh, I'm reminded of my great-grandmother Reed, you know, uh, great-grandma Reed, stood about four foot two. Man, she would look awesome next to you, Tyler. I mean, it would just be like, wow. Um, she, I, I remember when we got as tall as Grandma Reed, we, we thought we were as adults. I, honestly, we did. Um, but even though she was small in stature, lost her husband at 52 years old, uh, she lived a life as a widow, prayed, ministered. I mean, her prayer life was second to none. I remember just going to visit her house, and I know I talked about this, and, and, and she would just pray, and, and just her prayers, just hearing her pray in, in those moments. I mean, the, the Spirit of God would just begin to fall, and I just begin to cry. I didn't even know why I was crying because she was just anointed in what she's doing. And then I think about this, and my, my dad was able to speak a couple weeks ago here, and what you don't know about his story is this. My dad was raised by his parents, and they were raised playing country music in bars. That's how they, that's how they made their living. That, I'm, I, if, I'm, if I'm lying, I'm dying, literally. And, and um, in Easter Sunday, 1970, they decided to get up and go to church, and they went to church, and, and the pastor there gave a salvation message. And my grandparents, Grandpa and Grandma Skiles, they, they got up, they walked the aisle, and my, and my dad and all his, his brothers and siblings went down, and they all got saved. Now, listen to me. My dad has five brothers, five brothers. All of them have, are in the ministry. From California all the way to Florida, we got the United States almost covered. I got the middle covered over here in Indiana. And it's because of a legacy, heritage. You say, I, I don't have a heritage. Can I tell you something? It can start with you. You can break the mold of what your family has been 
and you can say, hey, we're going to change the trajectory of what we're doing because I believe that God can use me to set a heritage, a godly heritage that people can follow. Uh, I, I, I just, I'm, I'm just really challenged by that. And I, I begin to think about my life, and I want my heritage to be a godly heritage. I want my kids to make no mistake to know, hey, mom and dad, they love God. They're going to put God first. That's the first thing that's always going to be in their life, and there's no changing that. Uh, the word sincere here or genuine in the New King James Version means this, unhypocritical. And so... Uh, in that verse, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, your unhypocritical faith. Not saying it and not doing it, but sincere in what you're doing. And so Paul, he rejoices when he remembers Timothy's mother, Lois, who was a, a, a Jew. Um, his dad was a Gentile. She was a Jew. She was a saved Jew. She was a uh, uh, what we would call, a, it almost sounds like a, a contradiction. She was a Jewish Christian. And, and his grandmother, Eunice. And Eunice's name means something amazing to me. I like this. Her name means good victory. I like that. He's saying, Timothy, you are where you are, and you are what you are because of their prayers, because of their witness, because of their faith, and because of their central role in your spiritual development. I look back at my dad and my mom, and I look back at my grandparents, and I look back at the, the, the godly heritage that I have. And let me tell you something. It has shaped me, and it has made me and who I am today. I am a product of, of them. The Lord, yes, working through them, but I am a product of them. And so look at this. Verse 6 says this. For this reason, I like this, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. I like that. Another, uh, another translation says this, stir up the gift, right, uh, which is in, in you through the laying on of hands. Um, so he's saying this, Timothy, your heritage is godly. Now stir up the gift within you. Here's the thing. Why do people allow their gifts to be dormant? You ever stop and think about that? Why, why, why do we have gifts and sometimes we allow them to be dormant? We know God has gifted us in an area, but we, we, just, we, we just let it be dormant. And I'm convinced that it's this one four-letter word, not what you're thinking, this one four-letter word, F-E-A-R, fear. Now, you got to remember, Timothy's a little bit timid here, and Paul's just kind of hitting that fear right in the, right in the mouth and saying, hey, Listen, uh, you know, you, you got you to gotta move forward. This is in you. You got to stir it up. What if you, some of us may say, hey, what if I prophesy over them and it's wrong or people don't understand it? Or what if we say, what if I give an utterance in tongues and there's no interpretation? What if I witness at work or, or in the stores in town and people start uh, calling me a Bible thumper? That's fear. What if, what if I lay hands on the sick and pray for them and they're not healed? People will think that I am a failure. I don't know about you when I begin to think about this. I don't even know. I can't even calculate. I'll never know until I get to heaven how many hundreds, maybe thousands of people that I've prayed for in my lifetime. And honestly, there's been times where I've prayed for people and they were healed immediately. Praise God. There's been times where I've prayed for some and they were healed down the road at a later time. Praise God. 
I've prayed for some, and they got sicker, and they died. I'm just being honest. Like, I'm, I, I, uh, there was a young man I, uh, when I was in, in California, and my pastor, I was serving as associate pastor. My pastor at the time said, hey, can you go to the hospital and see this young man? I didn't know this young man. I didn't know his family. All I had was a name. I walked in the waiting room, and I said, I'm looking for this family. That's literally how I went in and met this family. And they said, we're them. And, and I said, I, I'm here to pray for this young man. His name was Ethan, 17 years old. Was perfectly healthy, got some back pain, went into the hospital. I mean, it just, it just literally uh, wiped him, wiped him, eventually wiped him out physically, and he passed away. But I, I went and I laid hands on him, and I went back the next day, and I went and I prayed for him, and I was just praying that God would just make a miracle somehow, some way, and he didn't. And I don't always understand why God does what he does. I don't always understand those things. But here's what I can tell you about the people that I've prayed for. Never once in my life when I've prayed for someone have they ever said, I wish you hadn't prayed for me. That's one thing I can, can attest to is I've never had someone say, I wish you hadn't prayed for me like that. People almost always say this, thank you, Pastor. Thank you for coming down here. Thank you for encouraging us. Um, I'm going to tell myself, last night I started a fire, and we have a a pit down, not this pit, but we have a big hole down here, and uh, it's starting to kind of collapse on itself, and we, one of our trees was, fell over over here, so we took the dead limbs and threw it in there, well, we're getting ready to, uh, to uh, fill that hole and get it, get it, keep it from collapsing on itself, it's just been growing in size, and so I, I went down there, went men's thing, I came a little bit early, I went down there, and I started a fire, and it was barely, barely even going. I didn't think it was going to catch, and I had some errands to run, and Jody was here, and I let, I was leaving. I told Jody, I said, Jody, I'm going to go to town. I said, there's a fire down there, and I said, it's probably not going to catch. Just keep an eye on it. Well, on my way back from town, I get a text, and, it's, and, and, and the, the fire grew. It, it, it finally caught, and I don't know what I, what, I, what I was expecting it not to catch, but here's what I know in my life. When I begin to use the gifts, when I begin to use the things that God has given me, things that he has given me, those things, that fire begins to grow in me, and it begins to expand. Now, the fire didn't get out of control. Praise Jesus. I might have been speeding. I know Drew's probably back there listening in the foyer. Getting back here, I just want to make sure. I don't know what I would have done if the field would have caught on fire, but but it, it didn't. But here's the thing. This is what I know about a fire. If you keep feeding a fire, it will not go out. If you have a gifting and you don't feed that gifting, listen, it may be dormant because you haven't been feeding it. Oh, and so I, I, I say all that to say this, that we have to fan the flame. We have to fan the gift. We have to keep feeding the fire and it will keep going. And I say this, keep using your giftings. Allow God to to give you and, and to grow you. Here's what happens when we don't use our gifts. And, and I like that, the rendering, stir up the gift of God. That's in the King James and the New King James Version. Stir up the gift of God. No one likes stagnant water. Right? You know why no one wants to swim where cows, a cow's pond where they go drink and do everything in there? Because it's stagnant and it's gross. But I don't know. I could get used to those beaches down uh, maybe not right now in the Caribbean, but that are that are crystal clear where you could see to the bottom. It's clear because it's not stagnant, right? 
So stir up that gift. Stir up the gift within you. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, stir it up. Verse 7. I like this. For God, uh, uh, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of what? And what? And what? All right, self-control. Stir up the gift, and here's why. God's given us. So you got to remember, Paul's talking to Timothy, maybe a little bit timid in himself. And Paul's just like, you got this. You got this. You have everything you need. Um, and honestly, if you have kids, you have grandkids, you ought to teach him this verse right here. Uh, when I was young, I hated thunderstorms. Anybody hate thunderstorms? When I was young, I, I despised them. They terrified me. Um, or maybe you're scared of the dark. Maybe you're older and you're still scared of the dark. I don't know. There may be some people in here. I don't know. Or maybe you're scared of an unknown future. What's going to happen tomorrow? What's the doctor going to say if, when I go to the doctor? What An unknown future. And this is what God, God does not give us fear. He does not give us that spirit. But God gives us these things, power and love and self-control. And let me, let me just say this. If you find yourself in fear over the direction or over a situation, that's the opposite of what God gives. Let me say that again. If you find yourself in fear over a situation, that's the opposite of what God gives. Um, this verse is, is not just for kids, but it's for ministers like me, and it's for people like, like you, ministers of the gospel. Uh, but but when, when you're nervous about witnessing to someone, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but he's given me a sound mind, power and love and a sound mind or self-control. Oh, and one, one thing that I like, you know, we hear this a lot. We like, the, we like the power part of this verse, right? Give me, Lord, give me, give, just give me a boldness, right? But what we don't like is the third one, which is self-control. Right? Oh, we like the power, but we don't like the, ooh, I need to, I need to control. I need to, I need to have a sound mind. I need to, I need to reel it in. I need to, I need to get my thoughts and my actions under control of what the Spirit wants. It's called meekness. Power under control is called meekness. Jesus demonstrated this the best of everybody. He had the power to do all kinds of things, but in meekness... He, 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 was, he listened to what his father had told him to do. So um, it's interesting to me. So it's power with love and what? Self-control. Everyone say power. Everyone say love. Everyone say self-control. Next time you do something, throw, throw it up against this. Lord, did I do that in power? Did I do that in love? And did I do that in self-control or a sound mind? This is a good litmus test for everybody. Uh, man, I, did I do it in power but not in love? Sometimes people do that, you know. Some people, sometimes you, they do that. Did I do it in love and did I have no power? Sometimes people do that. Did I do it uh, in power without self-control? I don't know. When I look at that, that's good stuff to live by right there, all right. You ought to circle that. You ought to underline that in your Bible. That's good stuff. So here's a third third portion of this, this chapter right here. If you need a subheading, is this, and I like this. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed of the gospel. 
Roman, or I'm sorry, Second <laughs> Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 8 says this. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Verse 9, who saved us and called us to be uh, to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So, Timothy, hey, uh, um, and, and us today, we're being encouraged not to be ashamed or to shrink back when it comes to our testimony or to the good news of Jesus Christ. You know what? A lot of us, we don't like to share our testimony because of F-E-A-R, that big fear word. And we don't like to, to spread the gospel because of F-E-A-R. Well, what if they say this to me? What if, what if I make them mad? Well, what if they receive Jesus right there at the gas station at the gas pump because you were obedient to what God told you to do? Amen? So uh, Romans 1.16 says this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That first part of that verse says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. So, so what does that mean? Testimony is, is, is the witness of the Lord. The Greek term is the source uh, of our English word martyr, testimony, okay? Right there, the Greek word uh, for testimony is martyr. Now that brings that makes everyone's eyes go up, right? When you hear a martyr, someone who dies for a cause, church tradition says that most of the apostles died as martyrs. Why? Because of the testimony of Jesus Christ that kept coming out of their mouth. They were not ashamed. And so Paul is making sure that Timothy is not driven by fear to witness or to testify of the goodness of God. But he's saying, hey, tell everybody you know about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how he can change them. And I like this. Paul uses boldness and power, and he gives us a glimpse that uh, a young Timothy may have had, had that, that little bit of tendency to be timid. Anybody timid in the house? It's okay. You, how many are afraid to raise your hand right now? Those are the people that are timid right there. Um, uh, I don't know about you, sometimes I need a kick in the pants. Anybody in here need a kick in the pants every once in a while? Sometimes we get settled in our heart and, yeah, man, that's just out of my comfort zone. And the Holy Spirit says, oh, really? Here we go. Go on that missions trip. Well, that's out of my comfort zone, or, or man, go tell this person about Jesus. But that's out of my comfort Okay, Lord, this is what I'm going to do in this moment, being discerning. And I don't know about you. I need that. I, I need that in my life. Verse 9 reminds us that we are saved by grace and not by works. Um, it's not by faith or works, but it's by grace. Amen. You guys have heard me talk about this. Sometimes I feel like a broken record talking about the grace of God. Um, is there a problem with works? Absolutely not. The only thing is works will not get you into heaven. It's only by the grace of God. Um, James says that the product of our grace over our lives should produce good works within us. So when good works come, that means that we're, we're most likely walking in the grace of God. So, and, and those works don't save us, but they are a reflection of the grace within us. 
It's not faith or works. It's not faith and works. It's faith that works, all right? It's faith that works. Verse, verse 10 says this, in which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death, everyone say amen, and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So um, where is the grace of God, uh, the love of God, and the goodness of God manifested? Can I tell you where it's manifested, where, where you'll find the love of God, where you'll find the grace of God? In Jesus Christ and him alone. That's it. That's it. As simple as that. Um, you know, some people uh, are afraid of dying. And the older you get, I guess that's probably natural, right, to kind of have that natural fear of dying. I don't think anybody wants to die. Um, but, and some people uh, are, are, have the fear of dying, have, have made some Christians afraid to share their testimony because uh, it's about their faith. And so they're, they're afraid, hey, if I give my testimony, I might have to just be a martyr. But listen, I, I begin to think about the church, the underground church in China right now. There are people who are risking their lives to be in a meeting just like this to talk and whisper about the very thing that you so freely were able to walk in here and hear. It's amazing to me. That's the kind of person that says, I am not ashamed. It is my testimony. If I'm martyred here in China, learning and speaking of Jesus Christ, so be it. Some, uh, you know, may say this, I, I, I don't go to church because I find the Lord in the woods or I sense him at the lake or I sense, the, I sense him in the blue skies and the golf course, right? I've heard that before. I, I don't, I, you know, I, and Psalms 19.1 says the heavens declare what? The glory of God. So that tells me everything around us, they declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So, so the heavens declare the glory of God. Nature declares the glory of God. It shows his handiwork, but it's it it but is not and should not be mistaken for the glory of God. Two different things. Some might say, "I I want to walk the beaches in Clearwater, Florida." Well, I dare you to do that right now. The beach is beautiful, right? It was probably beautiful a few days ago. But I promise you, if you went to the beach today, it'd be high winds and a lot of rain and a lot of stuff going on. And it's, Ian is re wreaking havoc on that area. And, and, uh, but here, nature, listen to me, nature gives witness to the reality of God. Nature is showing you that there is a God who created all this. It's interesting, but, it, but here's the thing. It's limited. It's a limited witness and can be confusing message. Here's, that's why pagan cultures will sacrifice someone and throw them in a volcano because they think they're appeasing a volcano. They think that somehow that, that worshiping the sun and worshiping the things that God created is somehow some kind of praise. And, but what am I saying in all this? The only way to know God's grace and, and God's goodness is this, is not by, listen, there's nothing wrong with hunting. There's nothing wrong with golfing. There's nothing wrong with fishing, all right? Those things are all good things. But don't let those things replace the true almighty God. God created the mountains. God created the ocean. God created the sky. God created the beautiful sunsets that you get to sit out and look. God created this beautiful fall weather right now. Thank you, Lord, right? 
some and some people get tripped up on this. And here's the thing: it, it's important for us to to come together. Why do we come together corporately? And why do we why do we worship together in unity? Because the reason that we do that is we edify each other. We build each other up as we come in here. When I see some of you, I'm so happy to see you on Wednesday and see you on Sunday because it gets my heart going. And you tell me, hey, pastor, you know that thing you were praying for? Well, guess what? It, it turned around. And, I, and I'm like, yeah. And I'm excited for you. And then we're encouraged by the word of God and we're encouraged together. How many know that we need each other? Amen. We need each other. So Look at this, verse 11, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do. Paul says this, I'm a preacher, but I'm also a teacher. I like that. He's, he's given dual, dual vocation here, and preaching and teaching are, are two different ministries. They're two different things, okay? Um, and and I'm, I'll break these down a little bit. Preaching is this, proclaiming the goodness of the gospel to a lost and dying world. Okay. Preaching is this, per, is proclaiming the goodness of the gospel to a lost and dying world. And teaching is edifying and grounding believers in the full scope of Scripture. I don't know about you. Well, I don't, I don't have to say this because you need both of them. Because you need, you need to be saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ and you need to be edified by his word. It's a balance uh, sometimes as a pastor, to walk that line because um, uh, one is not greater than the other and both are needed for the church, right? Right? No? Yeah? All right. You guys with me? Here's the thing. If I, if I just preach and I just do those things, here's my human nature is this. I have a tendency uh, as, a, as a human being, and you have a tendency as a human being to to migrate towards the things that you like to pull out of Scripture, right? Well, I like faith, so we'll talk about faith. I like worship, so I'll go to worship. Uh, I, like, I like talking about marriage and what God said. Well, I'll go to that. Those are all great things, right? Those are, those are beautiful subjects. There's nothing wrong with those. But here's what I've learned. Teaching the Scripture like what I'm doing right here through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, through these books of the Bible, it forces me to go to places sometimes I don't, am not comfortable going, and I have, to, I have to search it out. I have to ask the Lord to help me and lead and guide me. I told you that. The Bible will make you uncomfortable. I don't care how long you've been in it. The Bible will make you uncomfortable. So uh, I'm reminded of this, that, and, I, and I love Wednesday night. I love Sunday morning. I love Sunday morning. I love our church, but I love Wednesday night too. They're, they're, they're equal to me because here's the thing. Eventually, we will have gone through this whole Bible, and, and that's going to be amazing. Everyone say, that's going to take 10 years. So what? We'll get there, right? Oh, I need to be reminded sometimes that the gospel, uh, the gospel message of from time to time. I love, I love when I'm able to speak a gospel-centered message and people come to know Christ. It encourages me just like I'm getting saved all over again. I'm just like, man, go God, go God. Yes. But here's the important thing. If you, if you say, well, what do we teach or what do we focus on? And Jesus gives us a good example of this. And I think Paul did a good job of, uh, of, 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 of emphasizing the same things that Jesus did. He spoke on these things. You ready? You can write these down if you want. Kingdom, eternity, redemption, justification, sanctification, walking in the spirit and the nature of the Father. 
I can do it really fast. Here we go. The kingdom, eternity, redemption, justification, sanctification, walking in the spirit, and the nature of God. Those, those seven things, I believe. Kingdom, eternity, redemption, justification, sanctification, walking in the spirit, uh, the, and the nature of the Father. And so why did he emphasize on those things? Because Jesus said this in Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will what? Be added to you. Oh, so here's what, man, you want some real help? Man, this, this, is, this takes a load off of me. God, if I seek you and I seek the kingdom of God first, God, you're just going to make everything else fall into place. I love that. I don't know about you. I, I want to be like Paul. I want to preach to the non-believers, and I, and I want to teach to the ones who believe and need to hear it. Here's the next uh, bit of scripture. It says this, but I am not ashamed, for I know uh, whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until the day that he has been, uh, has been entrusted to me. So if you have your Bible there, uh, and, and you write in your Bible, underline that word, whom. That's a very potent word right there in that bit of Scripture, whom. I want you to meditate on that just for a second here. Paul doesn't say, I know what I believe. He says, I know whom I believe. He's not saying, I believe what I believe on. It's, I believe in Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's what I believe. So look at this. Uh, it's, it's, it's not what I believe, but it's whom I believe in. So many people know uh, uh, what they believe doctrinally and theologically, but they don't know Jesus personally. There are a lot of people in America who say, I'm a Christian. I'm a Presbyterian. I'm a, and they can call out their things, but they don't really have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Right? And then there's others who don't know theology, and they don't know doctrine, but they know Jesus personally. You ever met a young Christian? <laughs> I love them. I love young Christians. Let me tell you why. Because they don't have to have all this understanding of, of, of all this systematic theology and all these things. All they know is, I love Jesus, and he loves me, and that's all you need. Man, sometimes we overcomplicate it. And, and there's this joy, and there's this love, and, and I love to be around them. That's why Paul could say, hey, I can be in a dungeon, and I can be in a prison, and I, I know whom I believe, and I, uh, and I will do this. I will, I will pray for you, Timothy. I will write to you. I will encourage all these churches because I remember what Christ did on the cross for me. Verse 13 says this. Follow a pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit. Everyone say, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. There it is. Uh, you, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me among who are, boy, I don't even know how to say this guy's name. Let's just call him Figgy and uh, Hermogenes. <laughs> Verse 13 says, Paul says, follow the pattern of sound words that you heard from me. He would say this in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Let me ask you this, and I know this is a pointed question. Are you worth imitating? 
We got work to do, right? That means we got work to do. I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm just saying there's there's work to do. Oh, that we'd be so confident in the way that we walk that we could speak to those around you. So sound doctrine comes from what? Rightly dividing the word of truth. We'll talk about this next week in Second Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 14. I wish I could break that down for you. We'll do it next week. Uh, verse 14 says, that God has deposited and entrusted the gospel in you and me. In, in these vessels, these earthly vessels. God has given us the message, uh, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Is the gospel fragile? Absolutely not, because he puts it in our hands. Think about that for a minute. Think about the power of the gospel. And God would put it in our little clay vessels here. And, and, and Corinthians, it talks about that. And those vessels being broken in the light of Jesus can shine through us. By the power of the Holy Spirit. So how, how do we guard those things that God has deposited? By the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit was given as a comforter, a guide uh, for, our, for our walk, right? And if you stop and think about this, I, if I was to stop and think about this, if I thought about all the times that the Holy Spirit protected me from opening my mouth and the Holy Spirit protected me from putting myself in a bad situation or the Holy Spirit protected me, the call of God all my life, where I would have messed up tremendously, I, I, could, I would probably be up going, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus, for sending the Holy Spirit over my life. Verse 15 says this. Paul lists, lists two people here who are, who are teaching heresy or false doctrine. And imagine this, that your name is in the Bible, but it's known for spreading heresy, and Paul's calling you out. That's pretty, that's pretty bad. Here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned. I've been in ministry a, a long time. Um, not everyone who says they'll be with you are going to stick with you. And I think Paul understood that at times. And it makes me, I, I have to stop and think, if they wouldn't stick with Paul, I know I'm not, <laughs> I feel like I'm not even half the man that Paul was. And what makes me think they're going to stick with me? So I, I have to just put that on the, on the Lord and say, hey, Lord, help me to walk this out. So look at this. Um, these two guys were remembered for what they did wrong. And most, most likely Timothy would have known these two individuals. And so uh, Timothy, understand this. As a minister, sometimes when you preach the gospel, some will walk away. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. We don't try to make it happen, but sometimes it happens. Verse 16, and I promise, here we are. We're at the end right here. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. There's your good dog name right there. If you want to name your next dog, Onesiphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Verse 17, but when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you will know all the services he rendered at Ephesus. So Paul after talking about these two other guys, he brings up this guy, Onesiphorus, whose name means this, the help bringer. I like that. Uh -huh, I love that. The Onesiphorus was one who was bringing her help and, and, and encouraging Paul when he needed him. He was like a, like a cold cup of water on a hot summer day, refreshing. I love people that I'm around that are refreshing to be around. Sometimes, though, I'm around people, and all they want to do is just drain you sometimes. Somebody know what I'm talking about? 
Here's the thing. As believers in Christ, we ought to be refreshing to everybody we're around. Say, well, I just don't have it in me right now. Well, just don't say nothing, right? I don't know. It's really easy and subtle to miss out on. But if you read this, you'll see Paul is talking about Onesiphorus in the past tense here. He's in English past tense here. So Paul blesses and he prays mercy over his household and in a way that basically as if he's already left this earth and he and he begins to pray that God would show mercy on him on on the Lord on uh, that the Lord would show mercy him on that day. So here's what I know. We should we should be a cup of cold water refreshing to those around us and not a drain on them. Um Think about this. Those who have who've been that way for you and have went out uh, on on to be with the Lord. I, mean, I bet if we stopped and we thought about somebody, I bet you could think of somebody who was uh, very refreshing to be around. That's already went and and went to be with the Lord and not dying, but just simply changing address. Um, Paul, I find this interesting that God, he's thanking um, God for the, him, but he's also praying for him. I want to do this. Uh, just a powerful. I love. I love Second Timothy. Um, it's potent because I think Paul's coming to the end of his life and he's just throwing it out there, and I, it encourages me. I want to do.